welcome to Post Mundane, a thought-invoking platform to battle the chaos inside you and charge your consciousness. A very good morning to all my listeners. Thank you for taking out time to play this podcast. Post Mundane has completed its first 2000 streams around the globe. And with this, we are now on Instagram. The username is The Post Mundane. Any of it wouldn't be possible without your love or support. Thank you so much. Also, this amazing album art you see on your screens right now is done by a very talented digital artist, Sumeg. His Instagram ID is S-U-M-E-G-H-H. He's taking new projects. Show him some love. The news of Bollywood actor Sushant Singh Rajput has moved me completely and this momentum has resulted into making of this episode. Well, I'm not going to discuss about Sushant Singh. In fact, I'm going to address things on a wider spectrum. And by the name of the episode, I'm sure you already have an idea what this is about. It's about the S option, the suicide option that some of us have at our disposal. Today, I'm going to take you to a very informative journey. But before I begin, I want to share a hidden story of my life, which many people don't know about. Perhaps I never shared due to fear of judgment. But once you hear me out, you will be able to understand why I have such a firm stance on this topic. Well, I'm not going to reveal unnecessary information, but only the relevant parts of it. So I will begin with my childhood. My father did not have a sound professional life when I was little. I stayed with my parents till first grade and the only memories I have of that time are of my school and my home. Well, uh, not much about home except the fights between my parents. And then I was seven years old. My grandparents proposed my father that they want to keep me in their house and that they want to bear all my expenses. They tried to convince my parents that they will give me a better life and promising future. My grandparents had been very affluent and that's the reason why they thought they can do much better parenting than my parents. My parents, without thinking twice, handed me over to them and I shared that house with my first cousins as my uncle was working in a different state and he thought that life would be better for them with my grandparents. And I joined my second grade of school from there. In the beginning, it was like an adventure park. New place, new life, new faces. Childhood plays an important role in setting a personality of a human. I mean, if you want to know about a person, ask him about his childhood. That's where the foundations are laid. So, I got a lot of gifts from my childhood, which helped me grow up. And I'm going to tell you each one of it. One more detail. I belong to a very fundamentalist family where they still think their way is the only right way. They behave like Stone Age primitives when it comes to accepting and embracing. And by my family, I'm not talking about my parents here, but most of the people in my blood relation, including my grandparents. They could never wholeheartedly accept my mother as a part of their family, only because she's a Muslim by faith. So ultimately, my parents understood this and isolated themselves from any kind of indulgence into the family. And they started living an autonomous life. And that's how they recovered from their financial crisis as well. But unfortunately, I was still living with my old people and I ended up living there all my childhood, 11 years to be precise. Now that my parents were not in touch, hatred was the first gift I received from life. In time, I realized how much hate my relatives have for my parents and me. Everyone who used to visit my grandparents had a very disgusting way of treating me, including my papa's siblings and their kids and the rest of my distant relatives. Well, there is more to it. My first cousin brother who was living with me he is three years older than me and his gift to me was physical and mental abuse that nobody on this date gives a shit about. And now as we meet, we laugh it out as if it was just a silly and notorious relation between two cousins. But for a little boy who is already absorbing a lot of hate from almost everyone, 
regular beatings, punches on the face, a blow from a wooden bat, and mental harassment, only for the reason that his cousin brother was irritated by his presence, isn't a thing to laugh about, is it? Especially when it happened for years at a stretch. I was so afraid of him that when I was in fifth grade, I used to sleepwalk and subconsciously I used to cry and plead not to hit me. I think it was my brain's way of venting the emotions out. It never happened consciously but yeah, plenty of times when I was in sleep. At times, my parents used to come to see me. And due to my father's financial dependency, everyone in the family used to insult them publicly. I used to see their heads down, literally down in silence. And I used to wonder why everyone hates my parents. What have they done? I was too little to substantiate it with a reason. I was just like a puppy who knew nothing except feeling those emotions of helplessness. I had immense love for my parents and a strong wish to go home. My home. Where my parents will feed me. Where my cousins won't force me to eat just two chapatis saying that I'm eating from his father's charity. Where nobody will count my visible ribs and make fun of my malnourished body. Where strangers won't hit me or tell me that my mother is a bitch. I wanted to hear nothing. I was just hungry of love. I wanted to go back to my home because I wanted to heal inside out. Few times I tried telling my parents about it. I told them how I was beaten regularly, what all people say about them and how much it kills me. I used to burst out in tears and at the same time I was afraid. How will these people treat me if they get to know that I was complaining? Because every time after listening, my parents never saved me. They never saved me from physical or mental damage. They anyway left me there. I kept on complaining for years and they kept on ignoring. I used to cry every other day and used to ask God, why did he do this to me? The next phase was when I started working away from home in a different city. I fell in love with a girl. It was a beautiful relationship in the beginning, but ended on a toxic note. It took me time to get over with it and with that I received two more gifts, heartbreak and drug addiction. Yes, I sniffed substances day in and day out. And due to overdose, I finally landed into a rehabilitation facility in the very same city. And I was treated and received therapies to counter my withdrawal effects. I remember the initial days of withdrawal. I used to hurt myself, scratch my head and behave like maniac. And one day I, I planned to take my own life because I could see no future and hope for a normal scenario. In fact, I almost attempted it twice, but those last two minutes stopped me. I keep my hand on my heart and I say this honestly, I don't know what stopped me. I felt as if some unknown force has kept me alive and kept me hanging all this time. I can relate to what Bruce Banner, aka Hulk says in Avenger movie. The cell was just in, in case you needed to kill me, but you can't. I know, I tried. I didn't see an end, so I put a bullet in my mouth and the other guy spit it out. So I moved on. I focused on helping other people. I was good. Imagine if I had not given those last two minutes for thinking, I wouldn't be alive to make this podcast. So, you might be wondering why did I address these horrible things as gifts? Well, it is because when I look back, I see these things were the triggers of depression I had in life and I fought through them and that made me what I am today. I'm happy to grow from it. Also now I don't have good relations with my father and sometimes it's unbearable but I always choose to transcend above it. Always remember it's your choice. With my experience I can say that presence of every other person or situation in your life has a purpose as does our presence in theirs to teach us a lesson, to be the bridge, to give us important nugget of wisdom, to challenge us 
to set us on a new course. So back in time, the way I used to look at myself was very different. I used to see myself as a college dropout, a shitty boyfriend to various girlfriends in the past, a depression patient without any therapy or acknowledgement or support, and yes, I was a suicidal thinker. But now when I look at myself, I see myself as a filmmaker, an artist, a traveler, an aspiring civil servant, a spiritual advocate, a brother, a son. So yeah, things have indeed changed. I'm a living proof that you don't have to be a scum just because you rose from a scumbag. And in years of outfacing such toxic environment, heavy drug and alcohol addiction, these dark places ultimately brought me to live or die search for something more. That search is what this podcast is also about. Finding deeper meaning in life, waking up to healthy and spiritual essence that inspires us all. From monasteries to stadiums, meditation to stage dives, skateboarding to serving food in a kitchen, and everything in between. And I'm going to share all my learnings with you because I believe it may help you save yourselves and your loved ones. Do you know that 1 million people die by suicide worldwide every year, out of which 20% are committed in India only, which is about 2 lakh lives, number 2 with 6 zeros, which means as I speak, dozens of people are hanging themselves, jumping in the lake, slitting their hands or finding different ways to kill themselves. A very close friend of mine, Amrita Singh, has written few lines depicting a mindset of a suicidal thinker. Let's hear it out in her beautiful voice. Today I dedicate this to people who dream and work on making this beautiful and gifted life worth living. But unfortunately, they end up taking their lives. Hashtag Zindagi, hashtag Suicide. Jis mitti se aya hun, us mitti mein mil jana hai. Magar khuda ki di hui is khubsurat zindagi mein, कुछ तो बेमिसाल करके दिखाना है कुछ खुद से कुछ खुदा से किए हुए उन वादों को भी निभाना है ए जिंदगी तेरे साथ बस वफा करके दिखाना है मगर इस दिल में दबे हुए इन तूफानों से खुद को कैसे बचाऊंगा ए खुदा जब इस तूफान को झेल नहीं पाऊंगा तो शायद मैं कुछ वक्त से पहले ही ये दुनिया छोड़कर तेरे पास आ जाऊंगा खुद से खुदा से किए हुए उन वादों को तोड़ मैं आऊंगा जिंदगी अब मैं उन वफाओं को कैसे निभाऊंगा ये सोचकर दिल घबराता है मगर कमजोर दिल के आगे कुछ भी समझ नहीं आता है और जब दिल कुछ भी समझ नहीं पाता है तो क्यों सबको अलविदा कहने के अलावा कोई रास्ता नजर नहीं आता है कोई रास्ता नजर नहीं आता है अलविदा अलविदा So while extrapolating the reason for suicide, I came across a couple of cases that helped me understand it a bit more. So the first case I read was of a boy who committed suicide. He was so sensitive to his father's alcohol addiction and his habit of begging money from the students of the college, so much that he could not face that shameful situation or to stop from what his father was doing disgracefully. In another case of suicide, the apparent reason was students' failure in examination as inability to face shameful performance in any competition test can lead a sensitive student to commit suicide. The pressure of work and duties along with loneliness and loveless nights were the reason of suicide by an IPS lady, though her husband was also an IS officer and as such there was no economic hardships or unemployment before her. A millionaire in India kills himself due to enormous loss of money in stock market. Though the businessman was very aged and had enough money to sustain and reverse situation, but a greedy attitude is involved in such kind of suicide. 
Ernest Hemingway committed suicide as a result of his inability to keep a promise. He was also a wine addict that made him weak and fickle-minded to do things that he wished. A lot of poor farmers in India also commit suicide because of poverty, natural disasters, droughts, continuing bad or less profitable crops, and inability to repay the loans. These suicides involved the ideas of dark future and no hopes. Also in olden days there are instances of religious fanaticism for suicides such as Harakiri in Japan, Jal Samadhi, Sati and Johar in India. Such ways were once regarded as good and morally justifiable. Even Hitler did not want to be captured alive, humiliated and hanged publicly. That's why he died for his honor. So I realized that incidents of suicide are not confined to one particular community, race or society. Instead, this phenomena is present in all human societies of the world and embraces all sections, whether rich or poor, educated or illiterate, male or female, boy or girl, ordinary or great, married or unmarried, employed or not. It leaves no one from its grip. So the problem of suicide is the most ticklish and tedious one to deal with. I know it is a very terrible theme and a difficult task to unfold its mystery. It is also a multidimensional subject to define in exact terms. Whether it is a psychological or a sociological problem, I cannot comprehend at this stage. But to begin with, I can choose to take a psychological venture. I am sure of one thing, that the major reason behind it is depression. And it is so common that every 3 out of 10 individuals experience depression. And when left unattended and unaddressed for a prolonged period of time, it can very much lead for a person to commit suicide. So to gain clarity, on show today I have a friend of mine from Delaware. She's a crisis counselor and a mental health advocate and speaker. Her blog and social media persona, The Dopamine Queen, talks candidly from her experiences of depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder and suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, Colleen Ronan. Hi Colleen, welcome to Post Mundane. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm really good and I'm so glad to have you here talking on such a sensitive topic. I'm sure many of our listeners are not actively aware about depression, so I want you to put some light in this area. People say depression is dark, it's relentless, it's a black hole sucking all the happiness out. And we usually have a unified way of looking at it. So first thing is that I want to know if there are different types of depression and how do we identify if someone is having one? So there's several different types of depression. Um, it's I guess it's best defined by its symptoms, which is uh, losing your um, want to do things, losing interest in things and your regular hobbies. It's isolating yourself. It's not eating or not eating well. It's not being able to sleep or sometimes sleeping too much. It looks very different for all people. Some people can have seasonal depression and it just comes with uh, when the seasons change. And for certain seasons specifically, they get depressed. Mm -hmm. um, then there's uh, like standard depression, which is, or general depression, I think they call it, um, which mm -hmm. is all of those symptoms. Um, and they can come on usually from a trigger, something in your life that happens or something that you see or hear, um, someone, someone that you talk to, something that's said. Uh, that can trigger an, a, a depression episode. So it, it's mm -hmm. something that is infected by your life. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, I have bipolar depression, which is m the same type of depression, but I also have very high peaks also. So I go through something called mania, which is the opposite of depression. You have too much energy, your mind races, you think your thoughts are crazy, you can end up doing very detrimental things, you end up self-sabotaging in mania. 
Um, so mm-hmm. I go from both to both spectrums, both sides. Oh, and then so there's cyclical depression. That's when it's like on a cycle, when it keeps coming back. So it's actually very common to have suicidal thoughts. Um, suicidal thoughts are not ju- it's not just I'm going to kill myself. It could also be I don't feel like living. And that's where the depression slides into the suicidal part. So the deeper you get into depression, you don't want to live. And then you want to die. That's like when you go deeper. Um, so it's, it's actually very difficult to see depression in someone because people with, who experience depression for long periods of time or have it recurring um, get very good at masking it. So they can go out to a party or hang out with a friend and be okay. And then they go home and they're sad again. Yep. So it's very, very difficult. The best thing that you can do, the best way to know if someone is depressed is to ask them directly. Ask them, are you depressed? Are you, are you not feeling well? Are you suicidal? You should say the word suicide. To, you should mm-hmm. ask them, are you suicidal? Because as soon as you say the word, it gives the feeling less power. It opens the floor to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not really a good way. The only real way to, there's no like tells for depression because people can mask those sad feelings for a short period of time and appear like they're not suffering. Mm-hmm. The best thing to do is just to ask your friends regularly, ask your family regularly. How has your mood been lately? You know, and it, you can't, there are some subtle things that if you live with a person, you might pick up on. Um, like, for, for instance, if your partner stops getting out of bed or if you notice they don't shower for a couple days or they're just a general um, lack of upkeep on hygiene, not brushing teeth. Those are all major symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. And if you can notice things like that. You can see things like that. Um, uh, someone who usually goes to work every day completely dressed in suit and tie and now they're in sweats on the couch um, for two weeks. That's probably a depression. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that you can see, but you you have to be very close. The best thing to do is just ask if you have any type of suspicion or even if you don't. It would be great to just ask people, how's your mood? How are you feeling? Talk more about feelings. So what will be your advice to the people who consider death as an option? The first thing to do is to know that feelings are not permanent. They're a temporary thing. They come and go. You have a range of feelings throughout every day. Um, and it's okay to feel suicidal um, at some point in their lives. They do think about death and suicide and if it's the easier way out. But there are plenty of resources. There are hotline numbers that you can call. Now there is also um, crisis text line where you can just text in mm-hmm. and you'll get a counselor right away to speak with you and talk you through things. Go see a doctor or a, psych- or a therapist and mm-hmm. talk about your feelings. Talk about, or even just with a friend, talk about these things. Bring it up. Talk to people about it. Talk about your feelings. That's mm-hmm. the best way to deal with them and recognize that they, they will pass. So you mean if a person is feeling depressed, he needs to reach out to the people around him, right? If they can. It's very difficult, which is why I, on the other end of it is mm-hmm. you need to be reaching out to everyone mm-hmm. always, too. You know, like just always be asking people, especially when you're in better moods. 
reach out to everybody and see how they're doing. Try to um, get a temperature, a mood, a mood check temperature. <laughs> yep. So at last, what will be your advice to the people who want to help a person in depression or if he's getting suicidal? Because most of us don't know how to ease the pain and help out when someone has mental health issues. Instead, we end up pushing a person away and hurting them unintentionally, which pushes them more into the suffering. Then you can you can directly ask then too if you feel like maybe you've offended them. Say, did I offend you? That wasn't my that wasn't my intention. Um, some of the nicest things that people have done for me when I was uh, in a very depressed state. One time, my sister drew me a bath. She just put a hot bath on with some salts or bath bomb or something. And she lit a couple candles around it. And the whole bathroom smelled so nice. And she just pulled me in there and left me to have a nice bath. That well, was such a sweet gesture. Yeah, she was doing something for herself also, though. I was starting to stink up our apartment. <laughs> um but that's that's how you get so that was a really nice thing is you know notice the symptoms that they're experiencing and try to help them with those another thing is press my mother will come and she'll do my laundry and she'll do my dishes because those are the two hardest for me they end up piling up and piling up and i don't do them when i'm depressed so she just comes in and just spends an hour and does a couple things for me. And it really takes a lot off my shoulders and um, makes me feel better. When you're when the space around you is clean, you feel better. There's uh, actual science behind that. It can help with your depression just to have a clean house. Um, so when you can't do your regular cleaning because you're depressed, if somebody were to do something like that for them, that would be wonderful. Sometimes it's really hard to find a therapist or a doctor and you have to look up what, which ones take your insurance and then call a bunch to see who's accepting new patients. That's something that would be great that people could help with. That's a really difficult process when you already don't feel good. So it, you can do the research for them, find the doctors. Even calling to make an appointment becomes difficult to pick up your phone and speak to people. And yes, I also want to ask you the importance of medication in this process. I mean, can someone be uplifted without having medicines? I think that there's definite ways, natural ways to help improve mental health. Um, being outside more, a clean environment, like I said, um, getting fresh air, eating healthier can help your mental health. Um, meditation can help your mental health. But a lot of people do require medication and that's not something to be ashamed of. It's, a, it's just like any other medication. So for diabetes, they take medication to regulate it. If you're having depression, you have a chemical imbalance in your brain and you're, you take something to offset the chemical imbalance to create um, and make it easier to absorb uh, serotonin and all your neurotropics. So I think that Everyone should try natural ways and incorporate natural ways too, but don't be closed to taking medicine. I think everyone has their own right way to deal with it, but you can't just go to yoga and not be depressed anymore. So the, it is a chemical imbalance in the brain. 
And if you can fix that, if you can make those chemicals or be better at absorbing those chemicals in your brain that make you feel happiness and pleasure, then you should do that. Well, well, Colleen, this was really informative and I'm sure that our listeners will have a great takeaway from this. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. You have a wonderful day. You too, thanks. All right, guys, you can connect with Colleen through her Instagram. Her Instagram ID is the Dopamine Queen. So to all the people who are depressed enough to consider this S option as a way out, congratulations. Your fingers are touching, your lungs are breathing and you're able to hear my voice. At this very moment, the part of you wanting to live is way more active than the part of you that think it doesn't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hearing my podcast right now. I wish I could make your suicidal thoughts disappear, but I can't. What I can do is I can teach you to get across those painful moments when every atoms and cells from your brain and body is shouting that I want to die. By surviving those moments unharmed and learning new ways to coping up, you will gradually create a set of tools just like I did. And that's how you can make your life more manageable. Suicidal thoughts will occur less frequent and will pass faster. So as Colleen explained, most suicidal thinkers don't want to die. They just want relief from emotional pain. The brain has a mind of its own, particularly when it's trying to kill you. It can say nasty things, not based on reality, but old patterns, fears, and intensified emotions. The reality of suicide is far different from fantasy. Most suicidal thinkers romanticize their death by suicide, failing to realize that any suicidal gesture or attempt can result in permanent brain, kidney, and liver damage, loss of limbs, or blindness, if not death. When I was in that rehab, I had this fantasy of killing myself because it was a habit, an addiction. I spent hundreds of hours planning my funeral and imagining the remorse of my family and friends, probably thinking that they will remember me and live in loss and guilt. But let me tell you the truth of life. Everything has an expiry, even the feelings. I still remember, one of my distant uncle committed suicide and in a few months, his younger brother got married. It was a beautiful celebration. So no one will have time to bang their heads for you all their lives. So this idea is a big fail. So for the last 5 to 10 minutes, your brain has been focused on my words, ideas and images. Hopefully your societal thoughts and difficult feelings were put on hold. This is called outthinking suicide in action. Without knowing it, you have already begun. Congratulations. So the idea is of putting brakes on a feeling before it runs wild. It's a form of outthinking the brain. I can still remember the first time I consciously stopped suicidal thoughts. I was struggling for days. And then one night I thought, okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to make conscious efforts to change my thoughts. And guess what? It worked. I couldn't believe the relief. I suddenly was without any kind of emotional pain. And having none made me realize that how good it feels to feel good. I had used this key to unlock my mind. So now I want to quickly share more ideas supporting to what Colleen advised that can help you delete all the shit, all the sadness and all the suicidal thoughts. In short, all the S options. So the first thing is breathing. Based on Susuku Kan, it's a kind of counting meditation which is the first training step in Zen meditation. And it is one of the most convenient practices I know for relieving stress, anxiety, fear and worry. And for anchoring ourselves in the present moment. You have to bring awareness to your breathing, something that's naturally happening in our body. You can do as many cycles of this focused breathing as you'd like, 
but remember even just one conscious cycle of breath is great for developing your concentration and presence in the moment that's it the second point is language from an outsider's point of view societal behavior may appear straightforward but when you are living in it it's very complex it's a whole new reality so now i want you to make a feeling chart list all the possible human feelings like accomplished embarrassed lazy quiet terrific afraid enraged light thoughtful aggravated envious confident hurt confused obsessive to make it easier for you i have posted a feeling chart on the post mundane instagram account now ask yourself how do i feel in this moment take 5 seconds to think about it and note it down do this once in every 2 hours and you will realize that your response will usually change every time you note it down so as colleen explained your feelings indeed change from time to time and that is why there is a difference between a suicidal thinker and a person attempting suicide if you understand the use of language you can use it to cut the cycle of thoughts it helps us create our reality so focus on how you state your feelings like for example there is a lot of difference between saying i am lost and i feel lost i am sad and i feel sad the i am statement feels more permanent right they do to me the i am defines characteristics instead of indicating the feeling that is bound to pass but feelings stated as i feel have much more flexibility and movement our brain hears everything we say even the slightest positive change can have a huge ripple effect another observation which looks to me very mysteriously amazing is that the beggars handicaps infirms prostitutes lunatics dumb and deaf etc hardly commit suicide and they enthusiastically face the most afflicting situations in day to day life like sleeping on open roads begging for their existence no shame no disgrace and they take their lives as a charisma from god and they move to the path of extreme hardships and hurdles to face what comes then percentage of suicide among them is very rare in comparison to normal healthy and wealthy persons they are in fact more brave and bold than those who pamper false notions and well if i had not incorporated spirituality and meditation to my life my healing would have remained incomplete they are the most significant tools for release and relief for me spirituality is a belief in a greater source than what i can physically see or experience some say that prayer is talking to the divine and meditation is listening to the answers but for our purposes here meditation is the practice of quieting the mind it is an excellent way to ease the stress and reroute our suicidal thoughts so suicidal thinker needs to learn how to stop the brain meditation has that effect you can inhale love and exhale anger fear suicidal thoughts or loneliness the fourth and the last advice from my side is enter the parallel universe act as if you are in a parallel universe and all the toxic feelings are replaced by love and hope try this despite of how you feel and fake it till you make it i feel saturated by a problem i can't seem to shake I want to give up but instead I act as if I'm in a world where it is not a problem anymore or perhaps I solved it already and keep moving forward one step at a time. When I say fake it that does not mean fake your happiness when you are sad or fake being certain when you are afraid. Fake it till you make it means to acknowledge, accept and advance. And to all the people who want to help 
thank you so much for wanting to help a suicidal thinker. You play a critical role as you require patience, stamina and perseverance. I understand that to witness the pain of your person is not an easy task. But as Colleen said, talk, grow compassion and keep your eyes and heart open and keep your loved ones in check. And always remember that the only person who can fix a suicidal thinker is the suicidal thinker himself with your love, support and guidance of a professional. Thank you so much for your time. If you have any feedback, suggestion or comments, you can write back on Instagram. Have a beautiful Monday morning.